When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, where we get into the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your co-host, Mesh Lakani, founder of Lola Media, pop culture enthusiast, here to learn from Paul Paul, we got a good one. We got a really good one this week, and I appreciate you being super flexible with me. I just got back from Scotland from a five-day trip. It was a bachelor party. It was a lot of fun. I had no access to internet, which was a bit frustrating, but lovely, lovely time. Scotland's a beautiful place. Highly recommend it. Awesome. Yeah, glad you had fun. I'm going to have to take a look at those photos. Yeah, and just so you know, or our audience knows, the podcast is actually getting some traction. We love the fact that you know our fans are listening and spreading the word. And we'll be doing some more appearances and interviews in other podcasts, which we can't really get into right now because, you know, they're not public yet. But as soon as as soon as we're allowed to talk about them, we will. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Well, st- kicking off the show, let's start off with some quick updates. Netflix, man. I mean, over the last year, the stock is down 65%. It's down 25% after they reported earnings, and then it's gone down even further. I mean, people are just not liking the subscriber loss here. From a business angle, it's just become extremely competitive in streaming. But also, everything has just gone up so much during the pandemic that it just seems natural for things to correct. They got a poly a few weeks ago. They were my best streaming service. And I mentioned at the time that, hey, their stock was taking a beating, you know, it was like almost $700 in November. But yeah, man, it's, I wonder, is this the canary in the coal mine of streaming? Because they were sort of ahead of the curve on streaming. They were growing so well, but they didn't have a lot of competition. Now there's way more services in the market. And it's like, how many services can people have? You know, five, six, seven, eight. At a certain point, that plus internet gets to be pretty expensive. And so, you know, I'm reading that they're trying to expand, they're trying to maybe go ad supported or at least have an ad tier. And I personally am not looking forward to them having ads because I think that's one of the things I like about the platform is that there are no ads, but they got to do something. I mean, the stock is down so far. I mean, I watch Hulu and I think I I feel like I'm paying for it. And then I see ads on it and it's so frustrating because I'm like, I I thought the whole point of me paying for this is that I don't have to watch ads, but I guess there's a premium on top of that that I have to pay to get no ads. I think it's, it's a mix of those things that you just said. It's the increased competition. There's a lot of other platforms putting really great content out. I think HBO Max is still killing it. But it's also, I think it is that run-up, that pandemic run-up that just we saw growth that would normally happen over the course of five years happen in this really, really short period of time. And now everything is kind of coming back. I mean, just 
For example, you know, Disney's down 35%. Netflix is obviously down significantly more than that, but those businesses have other businesses to make up for that. Funny enough, Apple is up 25%. Granted, their streaming part is such a small piece of it. So not everything is down, but generally anything that was so pandemic-related is down significantly. Well, definitely. I mean, I think we all remember, although it seems like a different lifetime ago, March, April 2020, Everyone was just watching Netflix, right? Tiger King. We, no one was, oh, yeah. you know, going to the office. We were all locked down. We didn't know whether we could go to the grocery store, and it was like Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. And at the time, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, people thought, like, is this the new world? Or are we just going to completely abandon like society as we know it and just watch Netflix for the rest of our lives? And so that didn't entirely happen. But it's just like this is. Really, I mean, the first challenge that Netflix has really faced that I can think of since their inception. So we'll see how they weather it. It's not adversity that defines you. It's how you respond to it. Yeah, and let's let's just, a, a reminder for folks back, like, I mean, this might have been 10 years ago or even longer than that, but Netflix had where they split the company in two, one with the streaming service, one with the DVD service. Fans just got, like, so annoyed with that. And what did they do? They went back to the original thing, and then they focused just on streaming. So, you know, look, they've managed to turn the tide before. Maybe they'll figure it out again. But speaking of other streaming services getting smashed, we got CNN+. Plus. Which Ooh, is man too soon, uh, too soon, man. <laughs> yes, dude. it's unfortunate. CNN, the the Quibi of streaming services, of new streaming services, of yeah. new streaming services. Yeah. What was it? One month after being announced or released, it shut down. It was launched March 29th, and it will be shuttered April 30th. So it will be around for about a month, and that's got to be the shortest lifespan of any sort of streaming service that's got. You know, they had a $300 million spend to launch it. They had all these new talent deals. They were going to do original content. In fact, I don't think there was really any overlap with CNN linear channel. So, I mean, they really kind of blew it out. And they were planning on this compliment for people who just couldn't get enough CNN, right? They wanted like 24-7 news that it was in addition to CNN. (laughs) And Discovery was like, nah, you know, uh, this doesn't make sense for us. So we're going to shut it down. Well, I mean, look, the rumor was that I saw on Twitter was 11,000 subscribers in two weeks of launch, which is, I mean, there's people who have independent newsletters that are doing significantly more than that and getting paid $10 a month. So like once it's, and they didn't spend, they didn't have $300 million to spend. So, I mean, when you kind of compare it all, it's like, did we even want this? Like what, what was it in CNN plus that we actually want? I would rather have two seasons of Game of Thrones, to be honest, if you're going to be spending 300 million. I actually tried to sign up for it. And I'll tell you why, because our dog Lola when she's left in the apartment, I put CNN on for her, and I usually have the CNN Go app, and I'm subscribed through Spectrum. They switched that up, so I don't have that anymore, and I have to go through CNN Plus, and the app didn't work. So Lola was trying to get a subscription to CNN Plus simply for her own washing pleasures. Couldn't get it. I had to switch it up. Now she just watches sports all day. So, you know, I, I don't hey, even that's know that's a dog app- I can really relate to. Sports <laughs> yeah, all day. Exactly. So, you know— I think good for Discovery for for seeing something and making that quick turn because I think that's the harder decision. We just put a bunch of money on it, cut our losses. This is not going to work. We have plenty of other streaming opportunities within that whole model. So let's see what they end up doing. I think had they launched following the close of the Discovery Warner Media merger, they maybe never would have launched at all, but they probably would have given it a little bit more of a runway. The fact is, if they launched two weeks before the deal closes, you wonder why. 
and then new people are in charge and they inherit this thing that they don't like and they probably just decide to just kill it right away. I was reading it was 150,000 subscribers, but only 10,000 daily active users is what I was reading. Maybe that was the number, yeah. Well, I think you have to provide some type of value, even when you look at like ESPN Plus, right? Like ESPN Plus, you're getting exclusive games and, you know, things that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise on ESPN. Like there's a, there's a value add to it. And I don't really know what the CNN Plus value add was. But also content is just so hard these days. I mean, think about this. Spotify didn't renew the deal with the Obamas simply because they just didn't put enough content on the platform and Spotify had spent so much money on it. So I think just because you're a big name doesn't necessarily mean you'll be successful on a streaming platform. Clearly, right? I mean, it's unfortunate for all the people that were working on CNN Plus, but hopefully they'll land in another great job. And then finally, sad note, you know, Helena Hutchins, the cinematographer on the Russ film, was shot and killed in October on set. Probably the most recent high-profile example of someone getting shot on a set since Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son, and The Crow. The film producer, the production company, and the producers were fined this week by New Mexico's OSHA's office. It was the most significant fine they could levy for a film with that size budget. It was a very low budget film. So it was about a $137,000 fine. And they released the reports of their investigation saying that it was incredibly serious violations indifference to employee safety, failure to follow proper firearm procedures. The crew who were responsible for sort of checking the weapons were kind of lax, checked out, disgruntled. There had been at least four firearm misfires on set that had happened. And obviously this was the first one where someone got injured and shot. Unfortunately, life was taken. But they depicted an image or they created this story of a set was just like completely uh, chaotic and you know corners were cut everywhere they were trying to save money people weren't doing their jobs they weren't even checking to see if live rounds Them, were, that's... were with the prop ammunition so it was just i mean it's really sad that is bad that is just i mean unfortunate and hopefully moving forward people will take this way way more seriously no shortcuts around safety when it comes to folks on set the producers have two weeks to respond to this citation and and state their case and Alec Baldwin's team is saying that this report exonerates him. You know, there's a criminal investigation ongoing. There's several civil lawsuits proceeding. So this is a story that we will discuss in depth further. Well, let's take a break and then we'll get back with our main topic of this week. Johnny Depp and the Amber Heard lawsuit. More dive in there. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, Paul, so our main topic this week, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard. I mean, the memes, the videos, the 
the stuff that's going around the internet about this stuff is blowing up. I mean, if I've seen even the limited amount of internet that I had when I was traveling, all I saw was Johnny Depp all over my social and Amber Heard. So this is obviously a big thing. The facts are Johnny Depp is suing Amber Heard for $50 million in a defamation suit over a 2018 op-ed she wrote for the Washington Post in which she described herself as a public figure representing domestic abuse. Though Depp was not named in the article, he claims it cost him lucrative acting roles. You know, obviously they divorced in 2016. Would love for you to dive in and tell us about this because defamation suits are unique. Like, I don't really understand them and, and how they could be won. Listen, this is one of those, like, I don't think there are any winners here. Neither Johnny Depp nor Amber Heard really comes out looking like a great person when all their sort of dirty laundry is aired publicly and you have this trial. But to just do a little bit more sort of nuance in the facts. So yeah, you're right. They met on the set of Rum Diary. They were married from 2015 through the beginning of 2016. So maybe like a year and a quarter, year and a half. Then they got divorced and they agreed to a settlement with non-disclosure agreement. He paid her $7 million. You know, apparently it's being reported that they, you know, that they had a contentious relationship. There were fights. I mean, they were both abused as children. Yeah. So maybe violence was sort of a coping mechanism for them. Johnny Depp claims he's never hit her, but he may have, you know, thrown wine bottles at, you know, around her. And, you know, there's certainly like not great text messages between him and his friends about, that's right, you know, her dead body and, you know, wanting to murder her. And there's recordings where she's calling him you know, a baby for, you know, saying I hit you, like you're a baby for complaining about it. And there's a very messy fact pattern, which we can discuss later. You know, she's sort of caught in some timeline errors saying that she was abused when there was really no evidence of it or saying she used certain makeup to cover up the bruises when the makeup hadn't been commercially released until, you know, a year after the alleged incident. So it's like, it's a very, you know, and this is not the kind of thing I, re I really like to sort of glorify, but, you know, it is instructive, right, for purposes of understanding defamation. And specifically, when the 2018 op-ed was released, he got a lot of bad press and Warner Brothers asked him to no longer be in Fantastic Beasts. And then he's claiming that since then, he hasn't been able to get work. You know, he was going to be in another Pirates. He can't do that. You know, it's tough. You know, make a family-friendly movie and you have this guy who's just like drugged out, coked out, messed up. It's not the kind of impression you want to give your audience. And so just to get into sort of the, the black letter law of what defamation is, it's a civil tort. And what that means is it's not a criminal action. It's basically civil... So it's for money damages, and the actual law itself varies slightly from state to state, but there's five basic elements you need to prove, and that is a publication. So that means it's a public statement, whether it's written or heard by a third party. That is false, meaning it's not true. That's defamatory, which means that it also has to sort of attribute specific misdeeds or unfavorable characteristics to a person, in this case, Amber saying that Johnny Depp is abusive when he's actually not, or that he hit her when he never did. It's unprivileged, meaning under certain contexts, you can say what you want without fear of being in a defamation case, meaning like if you're testifying in open court and someone says, you know, blah, 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 and you answer the question, that's not defamation, it's considered privileged. And there's other privileged contexts. The statement has to injure, right? So in this case, Johnny Depp says, well, I used to be making $20 million a picture, and now no one wants to hire me because of my reputation. So that's an injury. 
the sort of sixth factor, if you're a public figure, you actually have to prove actual malice. So if you're not famous, right, and you just have to prove the five elements I just I said before, publication that's false, which is defamatory, unprivileged, and injures you. But if you're a public figure, you have to go one step further and prove that the statement was made with malice, meaning that they either knew it was false at the time they made it, or they made the statement with a reckless disregard for the truth. And so historically, there were two forms of defamation, slander, which is spoken. So if let's say 200 years ago, you go to the town hall and say, mesh, blah, 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 blah. And that hurt your, your reputation. That was slander. Libel is when you print it. So a newspaper. And now in the era of social media, the lines are blurred, right? Because you can tweet something negative about someone and that could be libel, but you could go on you know, Facebook Live or Instagram and make a story and that could technically be slander, it's broadcast. But everyone has the ability to reach millions of people and that's why these cases could be much more widespread. And there's related causes of action like invasion of privacy and false light invasion of privacy. And But basically, defamation is when someone makes a false statement that injures your reputation and causes you economic harm. Yeah, I mean, we've seen stuff in the past where those lawsuits have worked in favor of the person who has made the suing, right? I think like Hulk Hogan with Gawker. I want the audience to understand. So the Hulk Hogan case in particular was not a defamation case because Hulk Hogan never claimed that the sex tape was untrue. That was an invasion of privacy. So he claims that the sex tape was confidential information that was leaked. You know, he was sort of duped into having sex with this woman and it was recorded and blah, blah, blah. And the tape was then released, which violated his right of privacy, but it wasn't necessarily defamation because no one made any false statements about Hulk Hogan. Got it, got it. And the reason, I mean, he was able to win, you know, it was a jury trial and he won, you know, I think a $125 million verdict, which forced Gawker into bankruptcy. But it wasn't defamation, it was invasion of privacy. Got it. But that is a good question, right? So defamation is giving people the right to protect their reputations, right, from false statements that injure them. But this is in tension with, and this is what, it's related to the Gawker case, and it's related because in the U.S., our Constitution provides for the freedom of speech. So we want to encourage, the First Amendment, we want to encourage people to speak without fear of reprisal. And the government is actually not allowed to make any laws that inhibit free speech. Now, there are some exceptions to that, some very narrow exceptions, like you can't walk into a crowded movie theater and scream fire. You can't, hate speech and obscenity are not typically protected, but defamation is inherently a limit on free speech because you're punishing or potentially creating civil liability for certain forms of speech. And so there are defenses to defamation, and we can get into that. I mean, it's not necessarily what Gawker was saying, but they were saying, hey, we're a press outlet. We have the right to disseminate this information. And then the court basically said, well, there's really no newsworthiness to a sex tape, right? You were just doing right, this to destroy right, the you guy. Were doing, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. But so there are some defenses, though. And basically, if you're in a defamation suit, you can respond with, this is truthful, right? So if it's a truthful statement, so in this case, Amber Heard's being sued, 50 million bucks or whatever. I mean, typically... The judges and juries establish what the damages are, not the plaintiff. So, I mean, you can ask for money, but the judge and jury are going to decide how much the damages are. So she could say, hey, 
this is all true. If she's able to prove that and the jury believes that Johnny Depp was abusive physically, sexually, then she's off because she didn't defame him making an untrue statement. Also, and we can discuss this in sort of related cases, things that are sort of fictional or matters of opinion are generally, right. it's harder to prove defamation because then it's like, okay, well, for example, something like South Park. Like, yeah, they can I make- was, I was just about to say. Right, like <laughs> they can make fun of people and the odds yeah. that someone is going to consider like Kanye is a, a gay fish or Jennifer Lopez is right. a, you know, like a hand puppet or whatever. I mean, right. <laughs> no one's really going to take that seriously, but it's, yeah. that's the idea, right? It's like, no one would take that. The hand puppet one kills me. Yeah. No, that was a great episode. And then generally speaking, like matters of public interest, if you want people to talk freely about political issues. So it's, you can criticize politicians or political candidates, and it's like less- SNL has their when they do their openers. It's usually making fun or a parody on political figures. Yeah, if it's fictional and a reasonable person wouldn't take it seriously, right? Then it's not really defamation, and there's an element of that. But opinions generally are not false, and this is why I wanted to talk about it because it came up in this exact week. It's related that Jerry West is suing HBO Max for this new Lakers series, Winning Time, which is sort of like the dramatization series behind the rise of the Lakers dynasty, where sort of Jerry Buss buys the team and drafts Magic Johnson and builds out that beginning of the dynasty. And, you know, HBO says it's a dramatization. There's a disclaimer at the end of every episode. But Jerry West is still, he wrote a very, or his legal team sent a very, angry legal letter to HBO. They demanded a retraction, an apology, and they want reserving the right to pursue damages because they're saying that the series portrays him as a alcoholic, rageaholic, or a substance abusing rageaholic who's incompetent. And, you know, I don't know anything about Jerry West other than he's the logo and he, you know, was a very was a Laker great for a long time. And he's been a sort of genius NBA executive. He drafted Kobe while training for Shaq. He sort of was involved in the Grizzlies building their playoff contender, and he was involved in the Warriors building their contender. So he's been, as a player, sort of, you know, he's the logo, and then he's an amazing executive. So I didn't really know anything about Jerry West, but out of curiosity, I did watch a couple episodes of the series, and I will say that they made it seem like he really didn't like Magic Johnson, didn't want to draft. I mean, he, but factually, I mean, the timeline, he did retire as the coach before training camp. So, I mean, there's got to be some truth to that. I just don't know. So basically, Adam McKay is the producer of the show and he's getting sued as well. Or not sued, but targeted. It's not Adam McKay's first time like doing movies or shows where he's depicting real characters in history. You had the big short, you had the one based on Dick Cheney with Christian Bale. Right, Vice. With Vice, exactly. How does a studio, does a studio have insurance on stuff like this? Like, I'm thinking of from the standpoint of Lola Media, we produce a show where, you know, something like this happens. Like, HBO has to have some legal counsel on there. It's like, okay, downside risk is someone might sue us. How are we prepared for that? Let's talk about that after the break. All right, Paul, we're back. You really left us on a cliffhanger there. <laughs> so you can try to get insurance. Maybe this would fall under your E&O coverage, errors and omissions. The basic idea here is you should 
exercise judgment. You have to make your defenses, right? So if you parody someone in a documentary, right, and you make false statements in a documentary that's intended to be factual, you will have a higher risk. If you do that, if it's a false statement and you make it in the context of a drama where no one would realize that it's depicting real people or no one would expect it, then you're less likely to have risk. If you do it in sort of this hybrid work that's a dramatization that has real individuals, but it's sensationalized, you're in the riskier place, right? Because then a real person could say, well, I don't know what's truth. I don't know what's fiction. So the idea that you could have a successful claim is more likely than than it would be in other contexts where it's completely fabricated and fictionalized. You can get insurance, but insurance is not sort of like a get out of jail free card. And just calling it a dramatization is not a get out of jail free card because your insurer could say that certain things aren't covered, they're excluded. I mean, are you reading the premium? And you might it might cost a lot. But for example, succession, right? They're very careful not to mention that it's based off of the Murdoch family, right? You know, they don't mention Fox News or anything. It's it's basically like inspired by but something. Hey, it's a it's drama. Inspired by something. It, it might be inspired, right? But they sure. they are very careful not to right. tie it back to anyone because they don't want to identify totally who might be a potential plaintiff in that show. And, you know, so you can say it's a dramatization, you can say it's fictional, but if the court is going to look at the actual facts and see would a reasonable person be be under the impression that so-and-so, in this case, Jerry West, you know, didn't want Magic Johnson or was suffering from depression or whatever. But it, you know, if, if there's a shred of truth to it, or if there's some truth to it, then it's not defamation, right? And so in your case... I would say, you know, on the front end, don't sensationalize public figures with untrue statements that are harmful to them without clearing it in advance. If you're talking about people who are sort of not public figures, then I would try to get the clearance or I wouldn't identify them, period, right? I would make it all very hypothetical, like so-and-so does this or so-and-so did that or was this in this situation? Because ultimately, if they're not public figures, what value is it in dropping their name anyway? Like there isn't much. Yeah, totally. And I'll give you examples. So we're Lola Media. We're dropping a new show May 4th called Messy Situations, hosted by Kane Sarhan and Michelle Pramalenko. And it's basically about normalizing life's messes. Each episode, a different person comes on. They talk about their messy situation. It could be a celebrity. It could be a friend. But a lot of those times, they're like airing out something that happened that was pretty messy. In some scenarios, it's a ex-husband who is cheating constantly with like prostitutes and then went off with the the wife's business partner and then she liquidated the accounts and we don't ev- those people remain anonymous and then the people they talk about remain anonymous so like and the businesses remain anonymous so we're not actually saying anything there but I know that at one point we were all sitting there being like huh like obviously this is true she's gone through this in her whole life this happened 10 years ago do we need to like put a disclaimer or something there? Do we need to be careful on how we do things? Well, what I'd say is, yeah. So you're going to need some production counsel because these things are, it's not just defamation, right? You have invasion of privacy. You could have false light invasion of privacy. You could also have contractual violations if any of these people have signed NDAs. So it's all case by case, but I would say that there are certain things you can do to minim- minimize the risk, but that, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want to evaluate that without sort of, you know, looking at each situation. 
And that's what your production council is supposed to do. So in, in theory, HBO Max must have weighed the pros and cons and the likelihood that Jerry West could have made a claim when this thing was scripted. Like that you have to be going through the clearance process. Like copyright infringement, invasion of privacy, false light, breach of contract. There's tons of potential risks that could come up. So it depends on any particular fact pattern, you know, what the risk is. Well, Paul, dude, always a pleasure. It's interesting when we have weeks like this, when there's more news than sometimes, right? The, this week, the news was pretty heavy. So look forward to doing more deep dives like this. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's always interesting. All right, guys. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever you choose to listen. And hit me up on Twitter at Mesh Lakani. If you have questions for us, email us at bcp at sayhilola.com. If you have specific questions or things that you want us to cover, Paul and I can go down that rabbit hole and I can ask him all the stuff. And we look forward to sharing more with you. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera, Marco Seiler Gonzalez, with assistant producer Justin Sanchez and assistant research producer Haas Nasser. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Take care, everybody.